0: Hello and welcome to There's Hope America and the teaching ministry of Dr. Richard Lee. A bitter heart will destroy many good things in a person's life. Today, as Dr. Lee continues his series on mastering our emotions and his message is called Bitterness and How to Dig Up Its Bitter Root, the message is taken from the Bible book of Luke, chapter 15.
1: Most of us know the story of the prodigal son of Luke 15, her boy came to his father and asked for his inheritance, took it to a far country, blew it on righteous living with prostitutes and all the rest and returned to his father. We all know that story. It's a beautiful story. Here's a boy that came home and received a loving father. But you see, one of the things that we do not study very much is the study of the older brother. And I think it would do us good to look today at that older brother and the situation of that older brother's life. And ask ourselves, am I in the situation of that older brother's life? We see in Luke chapter 15, this story. Now let's set the setting. A son had gone away, lived in righteous living, comes home to his father. His father saw him coming. He loved him. He forgave him. He killed a fatted calf. He put a ring upon his finger. He put a coat upon his back. He welcomed him back into the family. But there was another character beginning in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, dad. Dad and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Can you imagine this? A brother who has another brother who has left the family, who's gone away, and he has come home to be saved, and yet the brother at home not only does not give a rip, doesn't care at all. I think we find that in many churches today. Many churches where people could not give a rip about the lost. They really don't care, for we live in a nation of pluralism, We live in a nation where we've been so inoculated, indoctrinated by all the garbage that we see on television and the garbage we see in churches today that we think everybody's going to heaven. Look at me, folks. That lost son of yours is going to the flames of hell unless he's saved. That lost daughter of yours will go to Gehenna unless they are saved. Your mom and dad, no matter how sweet they are, unless they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, is destined for a devil's hell. They're destined to burn in the flames of hell throughout eternity, Pastor. I don't agree with that. Five seconds after death, you will. That's all it takes. You say that's old-fashioned. No, that's the word of God. From this pulpit this week, it was read loud and clear. Everything that I say has been read. We can have our nuances of theology. We can have our ideas. We can have our 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 coolness, and we can have our ins and our outs and all the fashions and all the things that come and go as we've seen through the years, one after another, after another, after another. But see, the truth of the matter is that men are lost, and men are the Savior, and there's only one Savior, and it is not Muhammad, and it is not Buddha, and it is not anyone else. It is Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. But see, we have a watering down of the church today. Listen to me, if I had a mother and father, sister, brother, and I didn't think knew Christ, I'd be on my knees before them saying, let me share with you how to be saved. You say, well, what will they think about me? It doesn't matter what they think about me. What matters is the eternal destiny of their soul. And this young upstart was the same concerning his brother. He didn't care. Why? Because he had the root of bitterness in his heart. Well, does the root of bitterness come from? Well... Let me share with you. Notice, ask yourself, as I must ask myself, do I have a root of bitterness within me? First, how is it demonstrated? Well, notice, he was angry at the happiness of others. Verse 28, he became angry and refused to go in. He came home from the fields. What happened? He heard celebration going on. Now, remember this story. He did not go in and say, well, brother, why have you come home? I'm glad to see you home and then get angry. He was angry. He was angry because people were happy. You see, a person that's bitter gets angry because people get happy. Sometimes, you know, we, when we get happy as Christians and we sing and we make glory to God and praise to God and joy to God that makes some people angry. They say, y'all go back in your church. Don't do it on the streets. Don't make it known in the courthouse. Don't make it known down the street. You Christians, just go back in and shut your doors. Well, let me tell you something. I got news for you, those who want us to shut our doors. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. The light upon a hill cannot be hid unless we turn out our lights. We're the ones that make the difference in society. Oh, that's sort of narrow. You bet it is. You bet it is. Jesus said there's a narrow road to eternal life, and few there be that find it. A narrow road. Heaven is not on this big highway where everybody just sort of falls in and goes along. Heaven is on a very narrow road. What kind of narrow road? A narrow road of truth. All truth is narrow. All truth is narrow. See, if you think truth's not narrow, you don't have a scientific mind. Huh? You mean that that you're talking science? Yeah, I'm talking science. Yeah, all truth is narrow. The, the molecular structure of the universe, very narrow. You know that? The law of aerodynamics, very narrow. I enjoyed it this week as I flew across an ocean. I never once said, well, I wonder if the law of aerodynamics is going to change. The law of thermodynamics, very narrow. All of those things are narrow. The way to heaven is narrow as well. I didn't care about my opinion or your opinion. I don't care about the opinion of of theologians who change theirs every three or four weeks, every three or four months, every three or four decades, every three or four centuries. No, that don't matter. Truth is narrow. It's concrete. It's not abstract. Doesn't move. Doesn't shift. It's there. And the truth of the matter is, as we look at this story, we see a man that just made him so angry because other people were happy were happy. Then notice something else. He was angry and because he isolated himself from the friendship of others. Look in verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out. Why did he come out? Because he wouldn't go in. He's like that woman who got bitten by a dog and she went to the doctor because she wasn't feeling good. And the doctor uh, looked at her and looked on her arm and there were some bites on her arm. And he said, we got to do a test for rabies came back and said, lady, I'm sorry, you've got rabies. So she took out a pencil and paper started writing. He said, are you writing your will? She said, no, I'm writing a list of people to bite. <laughs> there are folks just like that. They just want to bite everybody comes by. And they isolate themselves. They say, no, 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 I, I'm going to isolate myself. You know, a husband uh, thinks he's ignored around the house. And uh, withdraws himself in a cocoon of his hobby. And so he's always in his hobby and never has anything to do with his family. Why? He's isolated. He's bitter. I'm not appreciated here. A wife feels like she's not appreciated and she's hurt by her husband. So she shuts him out for a few weeks and she broods over a hurt spirit. A teenager is hurt by mom and dad. Mom and dad didn't mean anything by it, but they're hurt. They really are. So they go in their bedroom at 16 and stay till 18 and unlock the door. They're hurt. They're hurt. You know, you get hurt in business. You say this business ought to appreciate me better, and so you, in a in a a business situation, you just isolate yourself. You don't want anything to do with anybody. So you come in, you sit at your desk, you do your work, you're quiet, you go home. A poor person's gone through a divorce, is wounded. They're wounded within, and people that have not walked that way don't understand them. Well, we may have some empathy for them, our sympathy, but we don't have empathy. How can we walk in their shoes? But what do they do? They say, I'm not going to be hurt again. I'm not going to allow myself to be hurt like that again. So they isolate themselves. That's a natural characteristic. But see, in isolation sometimes, that isolation can canker, and that isolation can turn to bitterness. Bitterness against your friends, bitterness against those who love you, bitterness against those who really would be your friends if you'd reach out to them. So what did he do? The Bible said he was in isolation. Then thirdly, he was critical of the blessings of others. His brother had come home. His brother had come home, yet he was critical of his brother who had come home. He was lost, but now he was found. But it made him criticize him that he would even come home. Now, how did he get in such a situation? A man who was angry at the joy of others, a man who was isolated from others, a man who was who was uh, critical of the blessings of others. He didn't want to bless. How did he get in such a situation? Well, look what it says. Look at verse 29, how bitterness progresses. He answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Did you hear that? Notice what he said. I, me, and my. I, me, and my. It's all about him. All about him. How easy it is for all of us to think about ourselves and no one else. I like this little ditty I read many years ago. A little girl had a party, and here's what she wrote later on. I gave a little party this afternoon in three. It was very small, three guests in all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank all the tea, and it was I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. Centered on self. Notice also, not only was it self-centeredness, it was self-righteousness. What do you say here? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. He wanted to impress his father just how good he was. Dad, you're just so lucky to have me. You know, self-righteousness is the highest form of conceit. And self-righteousness is a terrible thing because the more we pour into ourselves, the more empty we become. And it goes on and on. It is a bottomless cup that you can never fill because you're putting yourself into yourself and it never adds one thing to your life. Then also he adds self-pity. Father, you never even gave me a goat. Now, who wants a goat much anyway? A a lamb, we can understand, but a goat. How many have ever owned a goat? Let me see your hand. Well, you've had a goat. All right, sweetheart. Anybody else? I see a hand over here. Harold, you've had a goat? I know Kevin's had two sheep in his life. I know that. But goats. I mean, you just don't really go out shopping for goats. I'm looking for a goat. Daddy, you never even gave me a goat. Self-pity. Bless my heart. I am so to be pitied. But haven't we all done that? Ah, uh, Yeah, all of us do that. Man, if they only appreciated me like they should. If they only stood, you know, if my family only understood what a wonderful daddy they've got. If my wife just understood. Think about, I'm just the best husband a wife could ever have. Oh, my husband, if he just understood how many soap operas I give up for him, if he he could just understand those things, he would appreciate me more. Somebody wrote this one time. Self-pity weeps on the devil's shoulder, turning to Satan for its every comfort. Satan's invitation is, Come unto me, all ye that are grieved, peeved, misused, and disgruntled, and I will spread upon you my sympathy." You will find me a never-failing source of the meanest attitudes and of the most selfish sort of misery. At my altar, you may feel free to fail and fall, and there to sigh and fret. There I will feed your soul on fear and indulge your ego with envy and spite. There I will excuse you from every evil cross, from every duty, every hardship, and permit you to yield to every temptation. Self-pity. Bless my heart. Daddy never even gave me a goat. All right, so here's a young man. What's the problem with him? Well, he's stuck on himself. Well, he's got self-centeredness. He's got self-pity. His whole life is around himself. He's bitter if anybody's happy. He's bitter if anybody's successful. He's bitter if anybody's having fun without him being the center of it all. Well, how did he get rid of it? The remedy is found very simply in verses 31 and 32. Here's a loving father. You know what that loving father did? He reminded him of three things. Number one, he said, son, let me remind you of who you are. Son, you are always with me. Even while the celebration is going on, the father had not forgotten the son. Can you imagine? Here's a father whose son he thought was dead. The father thought my son was dead. But my boy came home. My boy finally came home. And I'm loving him and I... I'm so glad that he didn't destroy his life. He has a chance now. But he didn't forget that boy. He went outside to the son that had been faithful to him. He said, son, you are always with me. See, one of the things is people may forget us. Friends may forget us. Family may forget us. But I'm glad that God never does. God's always there. God is always loving us. God is always patient with us. Why? Because we're king's kids. Then he said, son, I want to remind you what you've been given. What did he say? He said, everything I have is yours. Everything. You know, I've seen Christians get upset at other Christians because they prosper. Oh, they look at the world. I turn on my computer every day as I go and check my email, and almost inevitably on the the, the system that I have, my, the uh, website that brings me up to my, my email, there's always something about stuff. Here are the biggest houses in America. Here are the finest cars in America. And I, I, I see that constantly, and I just sort of click it off, and I get to my email. But I'm thinking about the feeding of the mind, the class problems we have in this nation already. Because even preachers stand in the pulpit, and they say, listen, here's the way you can know if you're blessed by God, if you're in good health like I am, and if you drive a Rolls Royce like I do. Several years ago, I was standing right here after church on the floor right here, and a sweet lady came up to me with tears in her eyes. And she said to me this, think about this, a beautiful African-American lady. She said, preacher, I want you to pray for me. I said, why? She said, because my church has got a problem with me. I said, well, now tell me what your problem is. She said, I'm not prospering like others. I've been praying and I've been tithing and I've been giving, but the cars that I'm supposed to be driving, I can't drive. And the house that I should be living in, I'm not living in. I want you to pray that God will help me to understand why. And I thought, oh, what a grave injustice. Oh, what a horrible pity to do that to that sweet soul. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of things that he possesses. Listen to me. You may be living in a little trailer on the other side of some railroad track, but if you have Jesus, you're the richest person in all the world. Don't you ever let anybody put you down. Don't you ever let anybody say that you're less than. Because by the grace of God, if you have the richest of the riches of the riches of Christ Jesus, you are a king's kid and you're destined for heaven. Let me tell you something. I've seen it more than any other things, how riches can destroy a family, can destroy a soul, and can destroy lives. Don't you ever wish for riches? You wish for the blessings of God. And they come in different measures. One of the things that really just tears my heart up is to see people that are blessed in so many ways that they foolishly destroy their lives and the lives of others. You say, God, bless my life. What does that mean? Bless me, Lord, with what you want me to have materially, but Lord, far more than that, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, bless me in those ways that I can use the blessings of my life for thy glory. For thy glory. Can you say amen to that? You have it all. And then the last thing, He reminded him what he needed to be doing. Verse 32, we had to celebrate and to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. What does he say? It is right that we should celebrate. He said, son, let me remind you of something. He said, I know that you've been with me. See, I'm with you always. Your brother went away, but I was with you. Son, recognize I've given your brother a ring. I've given your brother one calf. I've given your brother a robe and a small party. But all that I have is yours. Does it pay to do right? All that I have is yours. Therefore, he said, listen closely, we have to celebrate and be glad because he was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. You know what he was telling the boy? Just do right. Just do right. In your heart today, is there a root of bitterness that's springing up? Hebrews says this. Hebrews says we can never be right with God. If we have a root of bitterness springing up within us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 14 and 15. If there's a root of bitterness springing up within us, we need to dig it out. How do we dig it out? We remind ourselves who we are. We're children of the King. We remind ourselves what we've been given. We've been given the grace of God, and we remind ourselves that our act on life is not to please others. It is to please Him. As we come to the conclusion of today's program, I want to invite you, if you've not yet done so, to invite God into your life by praying to receive His Son, Jesus Christ, into your heart today. The way we receive God's complete forgiveness is clear according to the Scriptures. First of all, we repent of our sins. Then, we tell God our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ as His Son. Thirdly, we commit our lives to Christ as the Savior of our soul. And fourthly, we follow His direction for our personal life as found in the Bible. So if you want to know Jesus in the fullness of His love and forgiveness, pray a prayer like this with me. Just say, Dear God, I know that I have sinned in my life, so I come before you in repentance admitting my sin and seeking your forgiveness i place my faith in your son jesus christ and commit my life to him as my lord and savior and i pray this by faith in the name of jesus amen
0: you have been listening to a broadcast of the teaching ministry of There's hope america and dr richard lee if you'd like to know more about the ministry of There's hope america and its many books writings and materials that point america back to god visit us online at there'shope.org. Once again, it's there'shope.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-628-HOPE. That's 1-800-628-HOPE. May God bless you until next time.